and welcome to the second episode of PY Stories. I'm Dave Young, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Dolan, Head of Marketing for Ambetis, a brand steeped in tradition and now part of the Nomad Foods House of Brands, which also includes Birdseye and Goodfellas. I'm delighted that Sam has agreed to join me to discuss a subject that despite having recruited marketeers for well over a decade, I've not been exposed to or had direct experience in. So it was a great opportunity for me to learn something new. Without further ado, I'll introduce you to Sam. Hi Sam, thanks for joining us. Hey Dave, thanks for having me, I'm glad to be here. Great, great. Well, um, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to... Uh, kick on with asking you to introduce yourself um now as, as per all my guests on the the series um i'm going to set you a challenge which is to try and talk us through your career within 90 seconds uh, and okay. you'll, you'll be up for that up for that challenge up for it absolutely right. go on then fire away tell us about your career in 90 seconds well it's really straightforward it might not even take 90 seconds dave to be fair <laughs> even though I am getting on a bit now it probably, it probably won't take that long but I have always worked in marketing always worked in food and always worked in FMCG so it's pretty straightforward in terms of the path I've taken I guess I've come at my career in a very traditional way I've, I've worked my way up um, I was an, I was a, a marketing assistant they don't even exist anymore I'm sure I think we're all assistant brand managers now so I was an assistant brand manager worked, worked my way up through to brand manager senior brand manager marketing manager and then here I am um, at Aunt Bessie's as, as head of marketing with my little team of six. Um, without doubt brand manager is the hardest job um, there, there is in terms of the marketing world because and I always say this to my brand managers you know you've got to you've got to be the doer you've got to do the doing but at the same time you've got to have an eye on that strategic bit because you want that to be the next part of your career so so I think brand manager you should probably sit in that for quite a few years which is which is what I did so from a company point of view um, I started in dairy with a company called Express Dairies that not many of you will know they were swallowed up by Arla Foods um, and then I and then I, I kind of moved away from moved away from dairy and went into confectionery for a little bit um, came back to dairy um, in the form of Arla and worked on all the cheese brands, Lurpak, Cravendale. And I would say that's where I grew up as a marketeer. That's where I kind of did the most of my training. And then here I am now um, at Aunt Bessie's, as you rightly say, part of Nomad Foods. It was a family owned business when I joined it. And we're now in quite a different world in terms of Nomad Foods. Was Absolutely. Probably. Yeah, and, and you and I have, have known each other for a, a little while now. And I, I know I've discussed with you in the past, um, you know what what it is that uh, you know FMCG marketers do. You know people that I've uh, supported in helping find jobs. So you know it'd be uh, a little bit worrying if I told you right now I had no knowledge of what you guys do. Um, but one thing that uh, I've just simply never had the opportunity to have any exposure to is actually the process from start to finish of uh, developing some of the fantastic campaigns I see a lot of my clients and candidates. Um, developing most of the time I see them it's, it's very much the end result so I'll flip on the TV or see something online and you'll see you know you'll see it come to life but there is so much that goes behind that and I was just keen for a lot of our listeners to get get a bit of an insight into what it actually takes to 
come up with these concepts, to engage the partners that you work with, and and you know to ultimately find out the step by step process of what you need to do to get these you know above the line TV campaigns actually on the TV. So um, my first question is is quite a simple one, is uh, and it's just simply what is the process of coming up with a campaign? You say it's a simple question, but it isn't really. The, <laughs> well, the, that, the question the, itself is simple. The answer might not well, be. Well, the question, exactly. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's probably no such thing as a process. There'll be some tools within each business that they'll use along the way to kind of tick off the, you know, the steps they need to go to. But every single brand is different. We've already mentioned there's FMCG, there's non-FMCG, there's beauty, there's finance, there's, you know, every single brand is at a different stage of its maturity. So it needs something different. And every single brand has got different business problems. And business problems is where you'd always start with a campaign. You'd always look right into the heart of your brand and go, what is the fundamental issue here? And from that, you would create yourself a single-minded objective. And that single-minded objective would still be very businessy. So it would be something like getting more shoppers in, penetration, um, getting people to buy three more packets of Aunt Bessie's chips a year. There'd, there'd always be a kind of a kind of humanized business problem. And that's really important to remember that when you are engaging an agency, and I know we'll come on to talk about agencies, humanizing the problem to an agency is the most important thing that, that you need to do. So step one of the process is always what, what is it you're trying to achieve, I guess, just like any other any other process. Um, and, and then I guess step two is, is starting to engage everybody you need cross-functionally to get you there because you're not doing this on your own. I always say, and it's sometimes an unpopular opinion, that brand marketeers are the ultimate jack of all trades. You know, you look at what I do on a daily basis and I'm touching all the P's on a daily basis. You know, I've had a conversation with the Morrison's team this morning about promotional planning. I'm going on later on after this call to talk to the factory about a supply issue. I've got that we, we touch everything. So you, you never as a marketeer deliver anything on your own and a campaign is, is no different. So, you know, obviously you need an, an agency, but you need people internally on board with it as well. Um, you know, and, and and that can be easier depending on how difficult the problem is, how achievable you think the results are. It can be difficult to get those people on board. So step one, identify the problem. Step two, absolutely get everybody internally and externally on your page. You know, it is so important at this stage that you set that direction and that you lead from the front and say, this is the problem and this is what we're going after and never waver from that. I've worked on too many campaigns as a junior marketeer where the insight is there at the beginning. And then for whatever reason, whether it's the chairman doesn't like it or it all gets a bit difficult for lots of different reasons, you can lose your way and the insight gets chipped away and it's never as powerful at the end. So getting everybody on board right at the beginning is super, super important. And then the next step is engaging that agency and never ever ever put pen to paper on a brief before you've sat down with your agency for a couple of hours and just talked them through your world talk them through your world warts and all you know even stuff that you think may not even be relevant to what you're trying to do tell them because creativity can come from anywhere and they can see the spark of an idea from anywhere so talk to them then 
put it down on paper, agree it, and, and then you're kind of off into the more traditional route of, you know, tissue sessions and scripts and and all and all that kind of stuff that, that comes after it. So you get to the point where you've got a and, and, and interestingly enough, most of the time an agency will come up with an end line first. And they'll call it something fancy like a creative platform. So when we worked on the latest Aunt Bessie's campaign, Gray did a really good job of getting to this caring territory quite quickly. Okay. And we came yep. up with caring is the hardest thing we do. And then everything sort of works back from there. So it's the same when you shoot a TV ad. You never shoot it in order. You'll be shooting the end first, then the middle, then the... And that, that's kind of how campaign planning can work. You know, you, you think of the end point and what do you want people to take out of it? And then you work backwards and put the layers on of what what that could potentially look like. Mm. I think I think I'd also call out media here. You know, we when we talk campaign, we talk a lot about TV, but TV is only part of the story. I am still an advocate of TV is still the biggest driver of of penetration quickly that you can get in a brand, you know, sticking your ad in X Factor on a Saturday night is going to reach far more people than you probably being on social media for 6 months. So I think there's still lots of reach in, in TV, but I think TV is only half of the story now and the days are long gone where you can just stick an advert on TV and not do anything else. You know, you Absolutely. consumers, yeah. consumers we, we, we talk a lot at the minute in, in, at Nomad about diversity and inclusion and representing, brands representing society. And, you know, it's the same for, from a media point of view. You need to represent how they're living their daily lives. And the fact is you wake up on a morning and I can't remember the stats, but it's an alarmingly high number of people that the first thing they do is check Facebook or Twitter or, you know, and, and that's the way they live their lives. So you've got to be relevant in some of those places. And if you're not, you're not. Don't mm. don't put a square peg in a round hole. You know, I joke that nobody wants to see Aunt Bessie rocking it on Snapchat, right? But <laughs> Facebook is probably more our our territory. So part of campaign coming up with a campaign is the media is a huge part of it, and making sure that you're using media that's relevant to your brand and also your message, because that yeah. that's just as important. I, I tend to support a lot of FMCG brands and, and what we call in the trade client side businesses to find their talent. Um, so I, I don't directly recruit, uh, you know, agency creatives. So I haven't had uh, a great deal of uh, direct interface with them. But what, what I've always um, struggled with in my mind is, you know, with the people that I recruit, uh, yes, you're right, they have to be a jack of all trades, absolutely, and the breadth of some of their job descriptions is is really vast. But maybe I'm comparing brand managers to me on the creativity <laughs> scale, uh, scale. But, you know, I, 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 I do speak to some unbelievably creative brand managers, and my perception was, well, you know, if all the creativity is in-house, why on earth do you need to spend the types of money that I know you know, big FMCG brands spend on partnering with these creatives? It, it, you've touched on it with the jack of all trades piece. Absolutely. We're not experts in anything. Um, so I, I, creativity is a skill in itself. And, and, I, and I gave a talk on this a while ago about creative courage, and you may or may not have been there. It was something from a can. But I, I, to me, creative courage should be a skill on LinkedIn. It should be a prerequisite in a job description. Mm, and, and I think the yeah. fact is a, a, a brand, brand managers at every level, that, that, that is not our job to be creative. It's our job to understand a business problem 
and be able to humanize that business problem to the experts in creativity <laughs> and take that. It's a bit like, you know, I could have a go at painting my own house, but you're going to get what you pay for at the end of the day <laughs> because, because you know, I can have a go at lots of jobs DIY around the house and I'll do an all right job of all of them. And that's brand management, really. You know, yes, we can start to do a lot of things ourselves, but, you know, I firmly believe you you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. And I just think mm. if we start trying to do some of this stuff ourselves, you know, you, you won't get the best service at the end yeah. of the day. I mm. think I, 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 I will get on my soapbox about agencies because um, there's been an alarming piece of research done recently by a, 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 an, a, an agency in Leeds. Um, and I was asked to talk about it a while ago and, it, and it's got lots of scary stats in about how people don't particularly trust agencies anymore. They feel like they're more in, more invested in winning awards than, than doing a good job for the client. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I think, I think agencies, certainly I've been brought up in the, in the, in the work sense to treat agencies as an extension of your team, treat them as a partner, give them all the information you'd give you, your, you know, your SBMs and your BMs and your ABMs, give them all that information we're all in this together we're all heading in the, the same direction and and I think you know you're the jack of all trades they're the experts mm. why why not use that expertise and why, and why not push them to to go outside their kind of discipline as well that's the other thing I, I, I told you I digress and I'm off already but I, I, I feel with things like brand planning we're, we're too siloed as marketeers where we say okay net we need we need to come up with next year's campaign right advertising agency you go and write me a tv ad right shopper marketing agency you go and tell me what it's going to look like in store right digital agency you tell me what facebook posts i need to write and we and, and we should be much more media neutral good ideas can come from anywhere and in fact some of the best ideas haven't necessarily come from you know that the agency that they were briefed to or you know it can come mm. from a conversation it can, it can come from anywhere so I think, though, I think I still massively believe that agencies are a huge part of huge part of what we do, you know. And I'm, I am, despite you being very complimentary about marketers being creative, on the whole, they're not. Most of them think they are. <laughs> Again, controversial, but but yeah. but we're not. We're really not. You know, I get this all the time from my parents. My parents will go because I say, "Well, I'm a bit rubbish. I'm decorating my house at the minute, as you know, and I can't visualize anything." And they're like, "You're a marketer, for God's sake!" And I'm like, <laughs> "Look, I know I need to drive penetration in the brand, and I know what the business problem is. It's not my job to then go away and say." What does that look like as a TV ad? That's not my area of expertise. Sure. No, that, that's interesting. And uh, it, it definitely adds uh, you know, a lot of synergies to the way I partner with my clients. Uh, and I, you know, I sound like a broken record, I think, when I say to some of my clients that we're all in it together, because that's ultimately what what I'm there for. To in my case, it's you know, finding the, the best talent I can for that particular client. And if we're all working together, if we're all open, collaborative usually we all, we get the right outcome and i can imagine that's the same with you know those agencies that you've had that that strong partnership with absolutely overshare i mean i you know me dave you know me a long time i overshare permanently so that's not a new thing but overshare with them give them more information than you think they need invite them to team meetings treat them as part of the you know and you'll get you, yes agencies can be expensive but if you if you use them as they're meant to be used you'll more than get your money's worth out of them absolutely more you know I, I i i'm a i'm a i'm a firm believer and and you know 
as again, this piece of research had talked about trusted agencies. Well, if you don't trust them, you're a grown up. Move on then. Find another one. You know, because it doesn't always work. I think you're going to come on to it in the next question, but it doesn't. You know, it doesn't always work. It doesn't. It's not. It's like it's like r- real life relationships, right? You know, it's not. It doesn't always work out. People mm-hmm. break up. They move on, and it's the same with agencies and relationships. You know just like in your world different people are suited to different jobs and different companies different agencies are suited to different brands and different environments so it's 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 life I guess so Sam there there are many agencies out there uh, across the UK and some of various different sizes um how do you go down that process of identifying which agency is right for you you're right there's loads there's lots of different disciplines so again being the first step is just being super clear on what you need and and that sounds really common sense doesn't it but you know what they always say Dave the problem with common sense is it's not very common (laughs) so being, being super clear on what exactly do I need from this agency and therefore how do I match the skill set is really important um, if you're a larger brand with more experienced people, you've probably got recommendations coming out of your ears and you've probably worked on. So in my, you know, in my, in, in for me, I'm getting on a bit now and I've worked with lots of agencies and I just know kind of who fits where. If you're a younger, smaller brand and a bit more inexperienced, um, organisations like Isbar can be really helpful because if you give them a decent brief, they've kind of got a, a you know, a good view of, um, of, of what agencies are out there. Um, and, and and they can really help support you on that. Are they, are they like an the intermediary time, then? Yeah, they're like a. Um, it, it's the Institute of British Advertisers, and, and agencies and brands can can. You don't even have to really sign up to them. You can use them on an ad hoc basis, but they can help you with that search if you're a smaller. Because pitch processes can be lengthy, costly you know time consuming they can do a lot of that upfront sort of guiding you in the right direction and getting a short list together for you and certainly when we were at Arla we used to use their services quite a lot I remember when digital was getting big and it was a bit of a minefield and Isbar were great in terms of you know pointing us in the right direction right you need this your budget is this budget's super important and as marketers we shy away from it you know I have seen too many briefs from junior marketers in my time with budget TBC I'm going to swear now, but bullshit. You've got to always give people a budget because, you know, you, you get what you pay for. And if you, if you haven't got that much money, be upfront and be honest about it. Yeah. You know, I can think of an example back in the day where this happened. And obviously I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever name names, but, you know, a budget wasn't allocated. And we ended up with a front runner of an agency that was super expensive and then realized right at the end of the throes of the pitch, we actually couldn't afford them. Well, that's yeah. just did months of everybody's time so be really upfront about what what money you've got um a lot of the time and this is not meant to sound like a cop-out but it's going to sound like a cop-out it can really come down to do you get on with them or not you know you can get a sense in those pitch meetings a bit like an interview again in your world you know you can, sit through, you can sit through interviews we've all done it and go through a process of, with candidates and Everything can be right up here, but there's something. I'm, I'm pointing to my head. Sorry, I forgot you're not going to be able to see me. Um, <laughs> in, headwise, everything can be ticking the boxes, but there might be something just in your heart that's going. For some reason, this just doesn't feel right. You know, tr- tr- trust your gut. Trust your gut. Think about um, 
think about, you know, in your real life, in your personal life, you wouldn't hang around with people that you didn't particularly have any interest with, you didn't like, you didn't get on with. It's the same in your work life. You're going to spend a lot of time with this agency. You're going to be asking them to do you a lot of work, projects, favours. You know, it's got to, the relationship has got to work as well. So I think there's a... Oh, sorry, sorry, Sam, sorry to cut in. I was just going to say, so how long does it take on average to, from a from a campaign perspective? And, and is this a relationship where you're working with the agency five days a week, you know, a couple of hours a day, you, you know, you're constantly speaking to them over a period of a few months? So on campaign, you, you would be, I mean, if you take, let's take my latest campaign as an example, because it, it's kind of live. I, I, when you, from the, that whole thing took about 10 months from, from start to finish, from first brief right through to it going on air is about 10 months. Mm. It doesn't have to. I've done them in, um, you'll remember when we launched Arla Skier. At, uh, um, I came back from maternity mm. leave on in, in the October and the whole thing was launched TV ad on, on air March. So it, it, you can do it much quicker than that. But to give it the time and space and treatment it deserves gut feel is eight to ten months really you should you should be you should be looking at that um the time that you spend with the agency will ramp up as you get closer obviously to being on air to the point where a few weeks before um the ad is shot you would probably be having daily what we call in our business like stand-ups just half an hour just checking in on you know is the wardrobe right is the actor have you booked that actor because you, you'll get much closer to sort of the, the detail of it so at first you probably meet in once every couple of weeks to discuss briefs debriefs all that kind of stuff and then as you get closer but the other thing that happens along that process is other agencies need to start to get involved because the in, in most cases and I say most because it's not exclusive, the advertising agency are probably not the ones who are activating the digital campaign, the shopper campaign, the PR campaign. Sure. So you have to, at quite an early stage, start to get those guys involved again so they've gone on the journey with you because, again, nobody likes to be just handed a neat box at the end and say, right, go and PR that. You know, they, they, they need to have been on the journey and understand why we've got to where we've got to because, again, they're going to see points I mean, the PR agency with ours recognised very early on that obviously the fact that there was a lady with sight loss in, in, in the advert, yeah, okay, but the fact that she wasn't an actress, she'd never acted before, she they recognised quite early on that that was probably going to be of interest to the media and quite a big deal. Now, had they not been on that journey, we might have forgotten to tell them that at the end. You know, had they not been involved in those meetings early on, that might have been a small detail that we just completely forgot to mention. Mm, so, absolutely. So, so I think it's important as well that you that you, you keep them on board. That's on campaign. So off campaign. So now um, we would have bi-monthly all agency meetings where everybody gets in a room for a couple of hours. The emphasis is much more on us to tell them how things are going and to keep them in the loop of this is how the business is performing. This is still an issue. Um you know the, the, do we need anything from you what do we need from you well nothing from you guys right now but from a PR point of view we might so I, I think off campaign every couple of months but having said that I would probably still have a, a bit of a chat on the phone every couple of weeks or so just quite informally yeah and and throughout that you know 10 month process or, or any campaign process do when when you've agreed um budgets and projections with with agencies do, do they have to be looked at and reevaluated? Do they change wildly? Because you know, if you if you adopt um, you know agreements on terms in my industry, um, we're very clear at the outset 
what those terms are and they, and they won't differ the only times they would differ uh, are if the you know candidate salary changes and and obviously the fee would change accordingly based on that but given it's you know 10 months of work i can imagine that's quite hard to predict sometimes for agencies and and if so you know do, do those um you know do those conversations have to go down the route of saying look we've miscalculated what we thought it would cost and you know what do they come cap in hand with you know, with a request for more money often? Oh, sometimes, but if the process is working and if the, well, not the process, if the relationship is working, you'd have been involved in that conversation. So you'd know whether it's a good shout, a bad shout, an ugly shout. So you should be involved. Now, in my experience, the overall budget doesn't tend to change too much. Um, you may get to the point of choosing a direct a director and decide actually we like this one is a bit more expensive or we like this one is a bit cheaper, but it won't differ wildly or it shouldn't if the agency have done a good job. Um, but how you cut that money does significantly change because again, until you've got a, a finalised script, you don't know whether you're going to need a one day shoot, a two day shoot, three actors, ten actors. You, you kind of don't know where your money's gonna music is another you know music can cost a couple of grand up to I, I remember the anchor team and I'm going to probably get this wrong now but I'll have famously getting quoted something ridiculous like a hundred grand for a Dolly Parton track so you know music can wow. can vary so there's lots of there's lots of variables but again that that's where you come in as, as in terms of the setting direction piece in saying you know for the voiceover is super important. The, vo the voiceover is the person that's going to provide the emotion, the, the music less so. That's an Aunt Bessie's example in this latest mm -hmm. stage. You know, we, yes, we needed music to build. You still need the music to build and you need it to, but it wasn't as important as getting that voiceover right. And get so it's going to vary again in, in, in different, different campaigns. But, um, you know, nowadays procurement are heavily involved in these things as well, because it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a, and, so, and rightly so, you know, these are whatever in any other part of the business, if you're buying a service procurement would be involved in terms of benchmarking that and understanding, are you getting good value for money? So it's only right really that they'd be involved in, in the marketing side of things as well. But again, it's about that relationship. I have a really good relationship with the, the lady who runs all our marketing procurement and she's involved from the off and it all works. It all works really well. She's got a really clear process in place and it all works. Well, you highlighted earlier, again, it doesn't matter what, industry you're in people buy from people and you know i think again it's amazing with my own personal buying decisions when i'm you know investing in my business or even you know outside of work it, it's it's just very very important isn't it with those relationships to absolutely you know, to have, to absolutely have the trust in in the people that you're working with it is and keep it human you know, we don't need to use big words and big fancy. Just keep at the end of the day, this is going to be a 30 second ad and a, and a Facebook ad and a PR campaign that normal every day your mums and dads are going to see, you know, humanize it all the way through. Keep it. And, and it's a cliche, but people care more about what you do than sorry, why you do something than what you do. So just be mindful of that when, when you're creating things. The, the next question that I want to move on to is, I mean, you've, you've touched on the fact that you've been involved with a number of campaigns throughout your career. Um, and I, th I think it'll be unfair to ask you to talk me through just one of your campaigns that you're most proud of. So you've probably got a couple or maybe more than that that you're really proud of that, that you'd want to share why you're proud of that campaign. I'm proud of 90% of them. 
There's probably a couple of duds, but we won't go into them. <laughs> I will talk about one, actually, if that's all right. Because, yeah, absolutely. Um, go for it. The, the one that I'm most proud of, and not just because it was absolutely stellar work that grew the brand in a declining market, one campaign of the year, got 8 million views on YouTube within the first sort of few weeks. It was it was huge. Um, but because it was such it was such hard work to get it through the business and it was a really, really stressful time. And it was, it was cats with thumbs on Cravendale. Mm. So for, for many years, Cravendale long before I came along had been, had been associated with um, entertainment really as a brand, you know, that the brief to the agency was always look, milk is milk and milk's pretty boring. And we used to, we used to, as part of the briefing process, we used to talk about the friendly enemies and the friendly enemies were things like calcium bones, all the stuff that all the dull stuff, if you like, that you'd associate with milk. And, and, and we appreciated that people aren't stupid and they understand that milk is good for you and milk is, so we don't need to, as a brand, tell them that they know that already right let's not insult their intelligence so we said actually we're the only brand in milk we need to stand out in a sea of kind of commodity pound four pint as the milk what are we going to do so entertainment had always been a big part of it so the cows want it back was where it sort of there was a couple of ads before that but the cows want it back was kind of the first quietly slightly un- that was the other thing about Cravendale advertising it was always uncomfortable that was always part of the brief make mm. people feel a bit uncomfortable about it talkability all that kind of stuff so cows want it back bit creepy bit but people talked about it put the brand on the map and then we went to these little um stop animation characters the cow the pirate the cyclist don't ask me why there was no again the right it was just the right kind of wrong there was no <laughs> reasoning behind why it was a cow a pirate a cyclist and they had these funny little voices and, and that campaign really elevated the brand really really kind of um pushed it from being a sort of 120 130 million pound brand it, it went up to sort of 200 million pounds it really really elevated it amazing then a couple of years had gone by and, and it was time to move on. Now, I made the last advert in the series of the Cow Pirate and Cyclist. So the, the task fell to me and my boss at the time, Stuart Ibbison from Arla, of, of, OK, what, what you know, this has been so successful. How do you move on from this? The, the next move is a big one because, you know, potentially the only way is down. So what do we do? So we did all the stuff that we talked about at the beginning of this interview podcast. We talked about the process that we were working with an agency in London called Widens. Um, and we fairly quickly got to two scripts that we thought were fantastic. We made them both. One was Cats with Thumbs. One was a, a interestingly, and again, this is how it can go. When we sat in the, the kind of script session, there was another script called, um, <laughs> bear with me, called Milk Me Brian. And it it, 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 it it was it was funny because it, it, where it came from was one of the creatives was in the pub with their mate and then they said, oh, what are you working on at the minute? And he saw new briefs coming in for Cravendale, the milk. And, and his mate said to him, I wonder, what, I wonder where did milk come from? Like whoever forced that first thought to milk a cow? And this whole creative idea came out of it. And we, we adopted this character, Brian, and we took him through the ages of kind of him trying to milk a cow and not. And that was the script that excited us the most. But at the time, there was a, there was a, we used to make, we always used to make two adverts and kind of bank one for, for further on down the line. So we made them both. Um, 
and very, very quickly, as we were making them, we realized that Cats with Thumbs actually was testing better because we haven't okay. even touched on research, but it was testing better. It was exciting people. It was getting, you know, it was just, it was becoming the front runner. Mm. Um, then we shot it and everybody in the business thought we were mental. Everybody, my <laughs> boss, my boss's boss, the sales guys were like, what what are you doing i get that these cowpar and psychists are a bit mental but cats with thumbs cats can't even drink milk they're lactose intolerant like what are you doing everyone was like and and, and honestly dave this went on over a period of months where you start to me and Stu used to sit in a room and go i'm I, is it just us we, we we know this is going to be brilliant is it just us and it raises an interesting point that i know you've asked me to think about advice for aspiring marks it raises an interesting point that we could have very easily at that point bowed to the pressure and gone yeah you're right this is a bit of a stupid idea we'll ditch it and it's not we but we didn't we stuck to our guns it was hard we you know we, it went right up to the powers that be to to, mm. to say to us really really like can you not just stick with what you got it's working it, it went it went right up so and then we saw a first edit um and and this was an important moment because it was an absolute car crash because <laughs> the way that ad was shot it was shot with a combination of real cats and huge kind of props of cat's paws and the the, the guy who edited it an amazing guy a bulgarian guy um spent weeks and weeks and weeks after we'd shot it um editing it all together and you can imagine cats are hairy right so he had to knit together so where you see the cats filing where you see him with the ball that's this editor guy had to take a, an edit of a, of a massive hand with a massive ball onto a real cat so it took incredible forever. So they sent us a first edit, and um, I've probably just given away a load of editing secrets there. But they sent us sent us this first edit, and it looked really kooky because it wasn't quite right. And 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 we made the mistake, and it was a mistake of sharing it with our commercial director. And he just said, "You're not, mate. You're not running that. You're not doing it." It's so we went back to the agency in a slight panic, and they came up the next day, and we sat down, and luckily we we managed to get it through. So I've wanged on there, but I'm I'm proud of it because. You know, there's this expression, isn't there? Nothing worth having in life is easy to get. And certainly that was the hardest campaign I have ever worked on from a point of view of normally internally people are behind you and going, yeah, it's going to be great. And everyone internally was going, she is off her head. This is going to be absolutely <laughs> like crap. Like there was just, and there was only me and Stu, I think, who kept the faith. And then, you know, as I say, it grew sales 3% in a market that was declining. It won, uh, the ITV at the time used to do like an ad of the year between Christmas and New Year. It won ad of the year, 8 million views on YouTube, lots of spin-offs. We did lots of spin-offs, unbranded PR around it. So we, we spoofed a video of a little, a cat called Jimmy sticking its thumb up completely unbranded and it got like everywhere it just it, the whole cats with thumbs thing just exploded and in a way the joke was on everybody else because you know yeah cats can't drink milk you know they can't. <laughs> it is. so absolutely right yeah i've talked it's, long it's, enough about that one but yeah cats cats with thumbs absolutely because it was great but it was really hard as well yeah and and, and it still remains one of the most memorable other campaigns well certainly that i can think of it's um because it was so abstract yeah. and obscure yeah. and fun and you know challenging the norm as well so yeah. for all those get reasons, on youtube though get on youtube and check out milk me brian because that was it was a it was it, it was a shame that cats with thumbs overshadowed it a bit because it was actually quite a good ad but oh it's on youtube is it a oh, fantastic yeah, yeah, they're, all, they're, all, they're all on they're all on youtube but there you go but yeah but i've been lucky 
I've been lucky enough as well, and this, I should say this, I've been lucky enough to always work for employers that have backed marketing, invested in marketing, you know, trusted us, you know, given, empowered us to, to write the briefs, do the briefs. And I'm still as lucky to this day. And I, and I do understand that not all marketers are that lucky, that sometimes the internal pressure is just too much. I've been super lucky throughout my career that I've always been backed. I've always been trusted. No, even when I was trying to make an advert about cats with thumbs. <laughs> absolutely, <know>. absolutely. <laughs> I asked you to uh, discuss your and give us an overview of your your career in ninety seconds at the start of the podcast, and um, now I'm going to set you another challenge. Um, one to just um, give some advice, if you will, uh, to any of the aspiring marketeers that may be listening or people that are at a point in their career where they're wondering, you know, which direction to go next. What uh, tips and hints you'd give them um, when considering forging a career within marketing? I think I think that the, there's a few bits to this for me and, and some's behaviours and some's competency, because I think you have to be a certain type of person to work in brand marketing. For a lot of people... I've seen a lot of junior marketeers come along and this jack of all trades thing where I've got to switch my brain and be is not for everybody. So I think my advice there would be you need to embrace that. You need to embrace the fact that you've got to have lots of fingers in lots of pies and you need to also accept that you can't be an expert in them all. Because the minute you try and be an expert in them all, you're not a brand marketer anymore. You're a specialist in something. And, and if that's, you know, if you if you love digital, and I've got a guy in my team who really loves digital, he's a brand marketer, but he's clearly going to specialise in that in the future, then that's fine. But, you know, you need to embrace the craziness a little bit if you're going to be mm. in brand marketing. The other bit I would say is I don't think we trust our gut enough anymore. I think we're trained to within an inch of our lives as marketers. Um, and, and you know, I, I, again, cats with thumbs. I had no other logical. I thought it was great. I knew it was going to be great. Consumers were, to be fair, telling us it was going to be great. But I, th there was just something in there that was saying this is going to be brilliant. And, you know, I could give you, I won't, but I could give you loads of examples as well where I've launched things against the advice of research and they've flown because you... Okay. If, if you know your brand well enough and you know in there what's right for it, then 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 trust you got a little bit. I, th I think data's got a massive role to play clearly in what we do, but but I think it's not always 100% right. So, you know, trust yourself. Don't be a robot. Yeah, and, and just on that point, um, I'm sure there are campaigns out there uh, that, and there's not one particular campaign that springs to mind, but where... Uh, your, you know, people trust their gut. Uh, all of the consumer data and the testing is suggesting that it's going to be a phenomenal campaign, and then it just dies, and it's just the worst campaign ever. There, mu there must be examples, and must be times where, you know, the best laid out plans and the best feedback businesses are getting are suggesting we'll run with this, and then it just falls flat on its face. I think that's probably where there's, there's there's not the right combination. And I would suggest that the research they're doing is probably not the right kind of research. Mm. Um, there was a tendency sort of 10 years ago to, to be really, um, what's the word? without um, naming names, but we, 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 particularly with advertising, we went to a form of research, which was people watching something online and, and, and typing in what they thought about it. Well, that ain't real life. 
that's not real life and and, and people will overclaim either positively or negatively in that situation. So I think the type of research you do, these days we're far more into neurological advertising and and, and literally people watch adverts with crazy helmets on that reads their brainwaves. And that's that's it sounds mental, but it's far more representative of what they're gonna how they're gonna react in real life. It's like that as a very young marketeer, I think I was 19, 20, and I went to um a research group up at that hotel near the big Tesco in Seacroft. There's a hotel on that roundabout there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. The, the windmill. Or the windmill. Like used to, that, I think it used to be called a windmill and, a long time ago. And I was waiting to go in. And this was back in the day when we did very traditional focus groups face to face. And I was waiting to go in. And a lady came out and we started chatting. And she'd been in the focus group before. And I said, oh, what have you been doing? And she said, oh, I've, um, they've been giving us some different flavours of Philadelphia to try. And I said, oh, right, how was it? She said, yeah, it was, it was nice, actually. It was quite nice. I said, and what was yours? She said, oh, well, I told them I'd buy it. And, you know, I told them the price was about right. And blah. And she said, and then she leant in and she went, I wouldn't really. I just felt like that's what, and I thought, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just about to now go in and test something on Cravendale. And you've just told me that actually what you've told them is complete rubbish. Now that's an extreme example, but mm. my point being, Research has its place, absolutely, but make sure you're doing the right research and you interpret it in the right way would be my two biggest pieces of advice. Fantastic. Well, um, yeah, I think we, we're coming uh, closer to the end of the, the podcast and I just wanted to thank you very, very much for your time. It's been really interesting learning a lot more about um, what goes behind the campaign and our, our campaign. Um, I'm just going to uh, leave you with uh, one more question to ponder and to come back to me on which is um all around uh give me some five uh, five words that would describe a successful marketing campaign um the first one would be sales driving clearly otherwise why bother <laughs> so it's gotta it's gotta drive some sales I, I think the other three are probably more debatable but polarizing would be my other thing yeah I, I don't believe that no PR is good PR is bad PR but I think talkability talkability I've put down as a word as well but I think one probably drives the other one if something's polarizing people are going to talk about it and then I'm a firm believer in long longevity might not be the right word Dave but what I mean by that is have have something at the heart of your brand that you take through campaigns and Lurpak is a perfect example of that. You know, there's always something at the heart of Good Food Deserves Lurpak that, that follows them through campaigns. The huge exception to that rule was Craven Tail. That you could watch those adverts in isolation and there's not really a golden thread. But I think that's an exception to the rule, which I believe there are always exceptions to the rule. But I think on the whole, you should try and carry an essence of something through. So McDonald's do it brilliantly. McDonald's adverts visually they're quite different but from the minute that advert starts you always know it's going to be a McDonald's advert but but they are quite different Gap used to do it really well as well when Gap advertised so that you you know you can do different things but always have something sort of at the essence in the, at the core of what you're doing fantastic well thank you again I've uh, really enjoyed spending the time talking uh, to you today and uh, and you have a good rest of your day won't you Yes, I will. Thank you. No, my pleasure. Absolutely. It's been, it's been really good fun. Thanks for having me.